What the sus? 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 Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of What the Sus podcast. This episode marks the first of two special releases where we will get to hear from other students here at Dalhousie. So the next two episodes will feature a bit of a unique format as you won't be hearing the voices of our hosts. Instead, you'll be hearing from students from Professor Sand Patton's Human Health and Sustainability class. In this class, the students completed a project where they were asked to create 20-minute podcast episodes. Each of these episodes delved into compelling correlations between human health and various sustainability issues. In total, the class produced six unique episodes, each focusing on a topic of their choice. In collaboration with Sam Patton, she asked us at What the Sust podcast to listen to each of these episodes and provide our feedback. We really enjoyed this process as it allowed us to take a step back and recognize what we value in a podcast episode. We are also grateful that we were invited to listen to a broader range of student voices and hear their opinions on sustainability. So, as a part of this project, we picked two groups as the winners, and their prize was to get their episode featured on our platform under a human health mini-series. So, get ready to hear from one of our winning groups. In this first episode of the mini-series, this group talks about the extreme weather events in respect to human safety, mental and physical health, social equity, and community resilience. Before we get started, this is just a quick disclaimer. These students take on roles and provide discussions based on research that they had personally conducted. So the roles that you're hearing may not be real necessarily, but all of their information and all of their background research is accurate. But if, as you are listening, you have any questions regarding the source materials and the resources that they used, please do not hesitate to reach out to us and contact us on Instagram at whatthesuspod or by email wtsust at gmail.com and we will reply promptly. Enjoy the episode. Hi everyone, my name is Lily and welcome back to my podcast Climate Change and Human Health. I am an executive member of the Insurance Bureau of Canada and with me today I'm joined by three other professionals to discuss the impacts of hurricanes, particularly Hurricane Fiona in Atlantic Canada. Now I would like to pause and let my colleagues briefly introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Alex Maynard, and I'm the Federal Housing Minister. Hi, I'm Delphi, and I'm the Atlantic Canada Heritage Minister. Hi, my name is Dahlia, and I'm a doctor specializing in natural disaster impacts on health. This podcast will focus on the broader implications of storms, particularly Hurricane Fiona of 2022, have on housing insecurity. To start, Alex is going to overview how Hurricane Fiona is driving a housing crisis in Atlantic Canada with a particular focus on Porter Basques, Newfoundland. Following this, I'm going to build on the effects and interconnections of the housing crisis with the insurance agencies. Next, Delphi will look at how all of this is not only a monetary issue, but also a cultural issue from a loss of built heritage and cultural practices. To close, Dahlia will tie all of this together, looking at the mental and physical health impacts and intersections of all of this research. So at the end of our podcast, I'll come back and summarize our main takeaways and propose questions for future Food for Thought. And now I'm going to hand it off to Alex, and she is going to start us off today. So I'm going to be looking into how Hurricane Fiona inflated the ongoing housing crisis in Atlantic Canada. 
Hurricane Fiona impacted almost all regions of Atlantic Canada, led to power outages, flooding, and damaged infrastructure. This inflated the already ongoing housing crisis. During the aftermath, homes were destroyed, residents were displaced, and power and social services were interrupted. This caused a high demand for construction and repairs to many homes and infrastructure that had been destroyed. Following Hurricane Fiona, over 100 houses in Port of Basques and the neighboring communities in southwest Newfoundland have been destroyed. This left some families in a state of uncertainty about their future and whether they could rebuild their lives in this town. Even though the provincial government has given some information regarding the recovery plan for individuals whose homes were condemned, um, some families were still stuck waiting. Uh, there has been an update. Uh, about a month ago, CBC published an article uh, covering Port of Basque. Um, Port of Basque is still dealing with the aftermath of Hurricane Fiona. The debris and cleanup are done, but still many homes have not been rebuilt. 159 households have never received insurance payments and have had needed to rely on the government support to rebuild or relocate. The town is feeling the side effects of trauma and mass displacement. A sense of community has also been washed away because of Hurricane Fiona. Residents who have moved more inland said they are now scared of being near the ocean and tend to watch weather reports more closely. During the aftermath and during Hurricane Fiona, uh, there was also an interruption of social services. Low-income Nova Scotians struggled to restock food after Hurricane Fiona, with people losing hundreds of dollars of food, causing food banks to see a surge in demand. Feed Nova Scotia said food bank demand has soared across the province of Nova Scotia after the post-tropical storm, with them needing to send more food efforts towards Cape Breton, Antigonish, and Halifax. There's also a high demand for construction repairs. Uh, there was a need to quickly rebuild after Hurricane Fiona and also with the existing challenges prior. This left a destruction in Nova Scotia and with a rising cost of construction materials and widespread uh, skilled labour shortages, many people were left with a long wait to receive those repairs. Thank you so much, Alex, for that interesting perspective. Um, I really love the examples you used in Port of Ask Newfoundland and I have some examples to share as well. Um, so I guess I'll dive right in on how the insurance world is intersecting with all of your work in the housing insecurity and the housing crisis. So in the insurance world, Hurricane Fiona was actually the 10th most costly disaster in Canadian history. Um, it wound up costing $660 million in damages. And a lot of this damage, as you had previously mentioned, Alex, was from flooding and wind. And to provide you with an interesting fun fact that you might have not known, um, damage to homes from flooding that are located in floodplains are actually costs that are primarily borne by government agencies and not insurance companies, while wind damage is generally always put through the insurance agencies. So insurance agencies' claims from severe weather in Canada have actually quadrupled since 2008, causing insurance agencies to begin pressuring governments to take action towards building more resilience in communities, and especially to help build resilience for individual homeowners. Um, to give you a sense of the scope of how the $660 million in damages um, was spread across the inland provinces, I actually have a breakdown that I would like to share with you all. So in Nova Scotia, over $385 million was counted up, ranking N at number one, which is quite a significant amount. Um, in PEI, there was over $220 million in damages. In New Brunswick, over $30 million in damages. Um, in Quebec, we have over 11 million in damages, and in Newfoundland, we have just over $7 million in damages. 
So not only are these costs extremely staggering, but they also have a ripple effect that is currently being felt both by small businesses and individual homeowners, which is feeding the housing insecurity that Alex has just discussed with us, I think. Um, in many of the hardest hit coastal regions, the cost to either insure your home or small business has increased dramatically as a result of Hurricane Fiona. Insurance agencies are realizing that the intensity and frequency of storms like this is increasing, and unfortunately, it's often the individual home and business owners that will bear the brunt of these costs. Um, a great example that I've heard of recently is a beloved business called the Picto Lodge. It's located on the northern shore of Nova Scotia. This lodge was a really popular wedding and event destination set on a picturesque oceanside cliff. Um, this is a lodge that has tons of seasonal employment and is a real staple in the local economy. But unfortunately, after the hurricane, they had to permanently close from a combination of extensive damages and also just not being able to afford the new insurance quotes that were given to them to insure their buildings from future storms. So not only is this a major issue, but there's also other issues. So some insurance agencies aren't really even equipped to deal with such large scale damage like this. A lot of homeowners a year later, um, like Alex had mentioned, specifically in Port of Bass, are still waiting on repairs to be done, which is creating major health risks from water intrusions into homes, as well as compromising heating from quite literal holes in everybody's roofs. Avoiding use of personal names, I actually also have a story that I want to share with you um, about what is happening to a lot of people in Pinto County, particularly those living among the northern shore of the Northumberland Strait. So I think this story has a lot of intersections and relationships with what you had shared, Alex. Um, so I hope that everybody finds this interesting. Um, a lot of people in this area live directly on the shore with little protection from trees with direct views of the ocean. So these are homes that resulted in really high amounts of damage, uh, very similar to the community of Port Basques. Many people lost roofs either completely or partially, and those closest to the water did have the ocean come right into their homes, flooding a whole lot of basements. So in the aftermath, all of these affected resi residents were calling their insurance agencies about the damage inflicted on their homes. The answer from the insurance agencies was that they had to wait for an insurance adjuster to visit their home, assess the damage, and give them a list, options, and price tag for each individual home's level of damage. What the adjusters ended up telling most people with mild to moderate damage, so most people just missing swaths of shingles and compromised waterproofing on their roofs, was that the damages would be insured, However, they would have to wait for a specific contractor to complete the work that the insurance agency had already approved. The other options were that people could either just pay up front or choose their contractor to fix their home and attempt to submit their claim amounts after, but none of this would be guaranteed cost coverage. So, and also a lot of people in this area just didn't possess technical skills to fix it themselves. You know, this is a community with a lot of elderly people in retirement that just aren't able to look after that. So people who waited for the insurance agency's contractors said they ended up waiting months on top of months for the repair work to be done. And with cold, wet weather quickly approaching, this was a major issue. The wait time was so long, it did end up driving a lot of people to attempt to fix it themselves. But as I mentioned, most people didn't have this option. So on top of this, people who did eventually wait for the approved contractors to have the work done, they had a lot of comments that the work was not done well and that they were not satisfied with the quality of the work. Um, they reported that the contractors weren't professional and now they were really nervous about upcoming storms because they don't really feel the repair work was done well in the first place and they feel they might end up in the exact same situation that they were already in. 
So with all that being said, now I'd like to hand it off to Delphi because I think she has a really interesting perspective on why all of these homeowners that are experiencing all this damage are still choosing to live in the communities that they reside in and not just moving into potentially safer locations. Thank you so much, Lily. Despite this frustration, people still want to stay in their communities. While it may seem easier to simply move away from the coastline and therefore the issues that come from large storm events, interviews with Atlantic Canadians forced to move after Hurricane Fiona emphasize the loss of their sense of belonging. There are some Newfoundland towns that have a history of resettlement due to coastal erosion and storm events. This has caused emotional distress on residents and has changed key aspects of the town's built environment and therefore sense of community. Even smaller impacts create a deep sense of loss within community members. Large storm events like Hurricane Fiona can wash away personal objects. For example, in Newfoundland, a book that belonged to someone's grandmother was washed away and found in the debris after the storm. The very real possibility of losing family heritage objects can be distressing. Even when larger structures remain intact, there's still a possibility that other important things can be lost. Even so, people often remain where they are. This can be for financial reasons, but it can also be for community reasons. Many people living in small coastal towns in Atlantic Canada are those whose families have lived in the area for generations. A deep sense of belonging to the area and people is something that cannot be quantified or easily moved. For this reason, many people choose to remain with the people in their lives, even when the material aspects of their lives may be at risk. It must be mentioned that the after effects of storms and loss are felt disproportionately more by Black and Indigenous people of color than white people. A 2021 peer-reviewed article by Fallon Adu found that people of color are disproportionately displaced after Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. While this paper used a different storm and looks at Americans, it is still something that can be and should be considered when we talk about Atlantic Canada, which has a distinct African Nova Scotian and Mi'kmaq presence. Displacement must be considered when discussing housing and storms. Many of the examples that we have used thus far are from white perspectives. It is important to ensure Indigenous perspectives are included in these conversations. A specific example of Hurricane Fiona damaging Mi'kmaq ancestral lands is the Mi'kmaqway Daybert Interpretive Trail, which is about 65 kilometers north of Chibuktuk or Halifax. This trail, which was built 20 years ago, was created to help educate nearby communities about the area's significance. There are information panels that share the natural history of the land along with information gathered by local community elders. They share legends, stories, and ancestral knowledge about the area. After Hurricane Fiona, the trail was closed for about one year due to damages to the trail that would cost $10,000 to repair. The trail only recently opened again in early November 2023. This trail is a valuable education tool and spiritual tool. An increase in storm frequency and intensity puts areas such as these at risk. School teachers and guides rely on trails such as this one as education tools. A deeper sense of belonging can be felt by Mi'kmaq. Loss of land and built community results in the re-traumatization of Indigenous peoples who are still fighting for land rights in what is currently known as Canada as a result of colonialism. To summarize, there is an emotional aspect to housing and place in relation to storms. I hope to have provided a perspective to ensure holistic understanding of the impacts of storms on communities by discussing the mental strain of storm events, the sense of community and loss, and how storms alter the built aspects of communities. Those were really great points, Delphi. The loss of land and access to land can be devastating for many individuals, as land is often linked to history, community, education, and identity. 
My name is Dahlia, and as Lily mentioned earlier, I'm a doctor specializing in housing and health impacts. Today, we'll be discussing the link between housing insecurity and mental and physical health. Having a stable home is incredibly important for one's overall well-being. Unfortunately, the aftermath of Hurricane Fiona has left many homes in Atlantic Canada in an unstable condition, resulting in decreased mental and physical health of the residents. As you said, Delphi, losing access to land after Hurricane Fiona has had severe mental health impacts on individuals, including a sense of disconnection, loss of purpose, and feelings of grief. Relocating from natural disasters like Hurricane Fiona can disrupt a sense of community and social support. For many people, being in the same space and having relationships with friends, family, and neighbors is crucial to their well-being. The loss of routine that comes with displacement can also have serious consequences on mental health, leading to increased stress, anxiety, and depression. In addition to the loss of land, a lack of stable housing is a large contributor to anxiety, depression, and PTSD. Forced relocation from Hurricane Fiona is a challenge that many individuals face, causing stress that can be overwhelming. The situation can be particularly difficult for those who are forced to stay in their homes or choose to stay that were damaged by Hurricane Fiona. Such individuals may experience an increase in eco-anxiety, which is caused by a concern for the environment and climate future. Individuals may worry about the possibility of another hurricane coming in the future. This worry can be more pronounced when homes have not been fully fixed or if previous construction was not done correctly, as residents become fearful for their homes and for their safety. Having safe, affordable housing is not only essential for ensuring mental health and security, but it also plays a crucial role in maintaining physical health and safety. In the wake of Hurricane Fiona, many people in Atlantic Canada had to face the consequences of living in damaged homes, some of which were completely destroyed. Flooding and foundational damage made it very difficult for these individuals to find safe and secure housing. Living in a home that is exposed to the elements can be very dangerous, particularly during harsh weather conditions. Living in an unfinished or damaged home can pose many physical risks, such as lack of heating, which can lead to colds and pneumonia, dim lighting, which can cause falls and injuries, lack of ventilation, which can cause respiratory issues, etc. Additionally, many people had to relocate temporarily or permanently during and after Hurricane Fiona, which can be a very physically taxing experience, especially for those with pre-existing health conditions or accessibility issues. Forced relocation has been linked with health issues including stress-induced illness, increased alcohol consumption, decreased oral health, and high blood pressure. It is evident that Hurricane Fiona has had and still has serious mental and physical health impacts on individuals. Having safe, affordable housing is vital for not only living a physically healthy life, but also living a life full of happiness and emotional well-being. Thank you so much everyone for your thoughts and for sharing all of these stories that you've come across in your professional research. I think each one of you brought such an interesting perspective to the table today, and I hope our listeners agree. With storms like Hurricane Fiona only increasing in frequency and severity, the content of this podcast has never been so important. I truly believe that housing and housing insecurity is one of the most pressing social issues of our time, and it was an honor having the three of you here to discuss how all of this intersects with aspects of human health. Now, I think it would be really nice to end by leaving a couple questions that our listeners can carry on with them into the rest of their day and that maybe inspire them to share what they learned today with other people in their lives. So a question that I have, for example, that I would love to pose to everybody listening is, how do we think that we break this positive feedback loop of increased severity and frequency of storms, increasing the cost of insurance and damages? 
So, and then I guess I would like to open the floor up and ask if any of my guests here with me today also have questions that you would like to add to our audience. Uh, yes, I would like to add that uh, a question of other than debris cleanup, what are other immediate government supports that should be deployed to communities right after a major storm? I also have one for the listeners. When land, homes, and communities are lost, what are ways that a sense of community can be fostered to protect mental and physical health? Thank you so much, everyone, for your time. And with that, I will officially close this episode, and I hope everybody listening... And a disclaimer, while this podcast is supported by the College of Sustainability at Dalhousie University, the thoughts and beliefs shared by hosts do not reflect the views of Dalhousie University.